turn to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn. Among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Really is magical. Um, we start that first song, and there's ten of you in here, and I never look back until I get up here, and it's like a magic trick every time. It, I don't know how you do it. It's really weird. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, well, I love what Rob just said. You know, we have a God who speaks. We have a God who is. We are people of the Word, and a God who wants to be known and who tells us so much about who he is, and I said because today, as Phyllis just said, we have one of the great passages in all Scripture where God speaks to us about his Son, about who he is, and it's my privilege to walk us through this beautiful passage. Um, this really is, I would say, the theological heart of the book of Colossians. We're going through Colossians this, this fall. Uh, this is the theological heart of the book, and last week I mentioned really the, 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 the theme of Colossians is the worth of Jesus Christ. The sufficiency, the supremacy, the beauty, the majesty, and, and everything we need, we have in him. And a little background on uh, Colossians, they come to faith in Jesus, they believed in him, and then at some point, it seems like some other folks or other teachers came through uh, their, their community and said, Jesus is great, but if you want to experience true fulfillment, like real spiritual fulfillment, you need to add to Jesus certain things. And scholars debate about what that was, but there's some secret knowledge you might need to know about, some spiritual experiences you need to have, some ascetic uh, practices and disciplines that you need to engage in, that that's where true fulfillment's found. And so Paul is writing primarily to say no to that. Like, you have everything you need in Christ. If you can understand what it means to be united to Jesus, the Son of God, Everything you need for living and for fulfillment is found in him. It's not Jesus and, it is Jesus only. That's all you need. And so today we get kind of the theological center, this beautiful description of the majestic Son of God, Jesus Christ. And before I walk through it, I, I want to just let you in on a, a process I've been in uh, the last two weeks, really. Mark and I got away. Last week I mentioned that we got up, up to Portland, of all places that Rob just said that. Um, and it was beautiful uh, this time of year. It's gorgeous, so yay, Pacific Northwest. Um, I lived there for three years, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a Pacific Northwest fan. I was, I was depressed all three years. It was great. Um, that's actually totally true. <laughs> that was more about me, though, I think. Um, uh, but so I've, been, I've had a little time in the last week and a half to just step back. It's the fall, so I'm rethinking my rhythms in my life, and 
Um, and I've been thinking, just stepping back, going, what's, like, what's my vision? What's the vision for my own life? What is, what, is I, what is it I'm going after? And to put it this way, like, who do I want to be in 20 years? In 20 years, how, what kind of a person do I want to be? And what are the things I can start to engage in now so that hopefully I become that kind of person? And what's been striking me in that process is um, how, <laughs> let's see, how self-centered my pursuits are. Meaning, like, my goal in life, it's so focused on, like, self-actualization. Like, I want to be this growing, thriving person, but I'm a Christian, and so what I notice is Jesus is there in my life, and I'm trying to bring him into my life, because I think if I bring him into my life, that goal of self-actualization and self-improvement, self-fulfillment will happen better than without him. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring him into my life for this, this goal. And I was kind of confronted with that in the last week and a half and started thinking, what if, what if I kind of just let go of that? And I thought, you know, it, really, in 20 years, what I want, I just want to be more devoted to Jesus himself. Like, however I, I'm going to grow in the next 20 years, I really want to say, you know, Jesus has more of me now than he did 20 years ago. Like, I am more compelled by this man than I was 20 years ago. That in the end, that's kind of, that's, and that's what Paul's saying. That's the goal of life is not self-actualization, self-fulfillment. It's actually Jesus is the goal. And so what does it mean to grow as a person who continues to be a broken person, but more and more we're like, I love Jesus. I enjoy him. I'm seeking to follow him. I trust him more than I did 20 years ago. He's my goal. My goal is not some life that he's going to give me. Like, he's, he's it. He's the goal. And so for the last week and a half, I've started my days by praying the Lord's Prayer. And it's been really interesting. I've, it's been hitting me. It's been convicting me every time. Because if you start the Lord's Prayer, you get this preposition or this, this pronoun that shows up three times. Your, your, your. Right? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And literally, for at least for a week and a half so far, every time, that's like a slap across the face. And I have to go, oh my gosh, yes, that is such a different starting point than how I go after my life, even as a, as a person who's trying to follow Jesus. And so my days are starting with like, I'm here, I, I wake up here, I have my agendas and my priorities and my kingdoms, and, and it's like the first task of the day is going, <laughs> you know, just like, God, okay, nothing needs, none of this needs to happen today, right? Like, this is about you. What if I didn't care how I came across people? I only care about how you come across to people, right? What if what I want for the day wasn't that important? What if just what you want for the day? What if this was about you and not about me trying to bring you into my goals for my life? And so I, I've been really confronted with that. And, um, and we've been talking as elders lately. We, we want to be a church that increasingly we're just about the majesty of Jesus, like, Jesus is the head of this church, and we want to worship him. We want to we live lives that are for him. That's the goal, right? Not all this other stuff. And so it's passages like this that, that help us. This Colossians, the whole book, is an invitation into the, the worth, the majesty, the goodness, and glory and sufficiency of Jesus. And so I'll tell you, we've got, you know, just these short six or so verses, um, and it's all about Jesus, okay? There's not a single command you're going to be asked to follow today. There's no practical application that I have for you, okay? There's, not a, there's nothing in the imperative here. This is just, it's, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. 
And so what I'd say is if, if there were a, a, an invitation, it's this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus today, okay? And I want to encourage us to see if, if we can sustain, this is very hard for me, see if you in the next 40 minutes, okay, through this message and through the songs that we'll sing afterwards, if you can simply sustain attention to Jesus and fix your eyes on him. Uh, earlier this year, we talked about this psalm, those who look on him are radiant, right? We talked about the, the story of Moses who went up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, and was in the presence of the glory of the Lord. And as he came back down the mountain, he was emanating the glory of the Lord, right? And this is, this is actually how change happens in our lives. We behold the Lord, and then his spirit works in us, and we begin to become like that which we're beholding, okay? So that's the invitation. Let, let us... Um, let us look on him today. And, and I would say, you know, I love that second song, and Scott was leading us. There's, you guys have so many things going on in your lives right now, so much good and hard and stressful and heavy and all of that. And what I want to say is, what, what would it look like just today to kind of lay all that at the feet of the throne of God and just look at Jesus for 40 minutes and see if, if maybe he himself is the thing that you need, <laughs> You don't need the fix. You don't need, you know, solutions. I mean, those will come, but like just he himself. What would it look like just to go, God, you, what I desperately need right now is just you. <laughs> and just beholding you, at least just a glimpse of you today. So that's our, that's, that's the goal for this morning. And um, I want to invite you to bring your imagination to this description of Jesus. I feel very inadequate today to this passage. I felt all week long with this this is very subpar stuff I'm coming up with. But it's like, you, how do you do justice to, to this? <laughs> so I could just read it 10 times, and we could just sit with it. That actually probably would be a better idea. In fact, I might do that right now. Um, so let's look at this, look at this beautiful description. Uh, I, you could divide it into two kind of sections. Uh, verse 15 to 17 describes Jesus as Lord of all creation. And then uh, verse 18 to 20 describes him as Lord of salvation. Okay, so let's look at the Son of God, Lord of creation, Lord of salvation. I'll just walk us through these images today. See if you can sustain your, your eyes on Jesus, okay? The Son is the image of the invisible God. There's your first description. The image of the invisible God. So Paul is saying, behind this whole universe, everything that we can see, touch, taste, there is a God who is invisible. There's this all powerful creator. You can't see him, right? You can't touch him, but he is real. He's present everywhere. He's behind everything that exists. And Paul's saying, and Jesus of Nazareth, okay? And we, we know Jesus, but we got to think about, this is a guy who just years before this was written was a Jewish carpenter, right? Grew up in Nazareth, turned rabbi, lived a life in ancient Palestine, and several years after that, you have Paul saying, that Jewish carpenter from Nazareth is the image of the invisible God. Okay, let me give you, a, let me give you one person's rendering of, of this Jesus. Okay? The Greek word here for image is the word akon, where we get our word icon. And actually, Rob used that word. I, I, he didn't mean to do that, but he used that word this morning. So um, we have an image for this, right, in our technological age. So you have computers, right? 
And these computers have programs, and they're very, nowadays very powerful programs that are running in the background. You can't see them, right? You, you, you can't touch them, but you know they're happening. <laughs> but every program has an icon, right? Microsoft Word, icon, PowerPoint, icon, you name it. Um, Internet Explorer, remember that existed? Icon, right? <laughs> you, there's, there's a, there's a, a physical manifestation of that invisible, powerful thing. <laughs> And Paul's saying, Jesus is the icon of the invisible God. He is the visible representation of this invisible God that no, no, one, no one has ever seen before. The author of Hebrews uses a different image in chapter 1. He says he is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. There the word he uses is a word that in the ancient world meant an impress Okay, so the image is like a, a king or a noble person would write a letter, right? And then you seal that letter. You've got your ring, and you seal it on hot wax. In that wax impress, that's the word that the author of Hebrew uses. It's an exact replica. It's a perfect representation of the thing that the person receives letter. They don't see the ring, but they see this thing that is an exact icon, impress of that thing. Okay? Look down in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Right? So let me just stop there for a second. <laughs> and again, this is old hat for a lot of us in this room, but keep your attention here. What we're saying is Jesus is exactly <laughs> like God. <laughs> Right? He is the exact representation of his being. And so what that means in most basic terms is if you want to know what God is like, right? everybody in the world pretty much has heard the word God, G-O-D, and that conjures up certain images of what that being that started this whole thing is like. If you want to know what that God is like, okay, you actually don't have to study tons of systematic theology, though that would be helpful. right? You don't, you don't need to go to the, the gurus or whatever. Just Look at this man from Nazareth. Read these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Watch this carpenter in action, and you will discover exactly what God is like. Okay? Let me show you some images. Same artists. Watch this man as he interacts with the crowds, as he teaches people. Hear what he has to say about what life is all about. Watch this man as he engages a Samaritan woman who is on her, her sixth marriage, working on her sixth marriage, and watch how he engages her, if you want to know what God is like. Watch him as he interacts with kids uh, in an ancient society that, where kids were supposed to be you know, silent and unseen as well. Uh, watch him as he heals the blind, as he touches lepers, as he, as he re restores human beings uh, to their dignity. Uh, watch him as he prays to his father, uh, as, as he's feeling the weight of the world, and he goes to his father and says, not my will, but your will be done. Ugh, this is after his resurrection, one of my favorite stories. Watch him as he sits on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and cooks fish for his friends and waits for them to come to shore. And then right after that scene, watch him as he takes his best friend, or one of his best friends, Peter, who utterly betrayed him, and forgives him and restores him uh, to relationship and to uh, leadership in his church, right? If you want to know what God is like, 
watch this man, because that's exactly what God is like, the image of the invisible God. (laughs) Next phrase. I won't take quite as long with every phrase. Okay? Fix our eyes on Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. Uh, Now, you hear that one. I hear firstborn. I think, okay, so God created Jesus first, and then he created other things, and we'll find out in the next verse. That's clearly not what Paul means, but that word firstborn has lots of history in the Bible, and if you look at the Old Testament, especially firstborn, uh, the firstborn son was the one who represents the family. He's the one who has authority in the family. He's the one who is set to inherit the lion's share of the estate, Uh, and so um, he basically inherits his father's place as head of the family. So for Jesus to be the firstborn, it's to say um, Jesus has authority over everything. Jesus inherits the kingdoms of the world. Jesus is the one who rules over everything on behalf of his Father. He is the firstborn over all creation. And then we get this amazing description. Look at verse 16. For, here's how he's firstborn over creation. Here's how, the, he's, he's, here's how he's the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, take this in. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay? We're talking about the carpenter from Nazareth. So Paul is saying all things, and he really wants us to make sure we get it. Like, I'm talking about everything. Like, all things, right? Visible, invisible, rulers, authorities. Like, you think of something, and this fits in the category all things. Everything that exists. And he says, everything was created, and then he gives us three prepositions. In him, through him, and for him, the carpenter from Nazareth. Okay? So let me take those first two, in and through. All things were created in him and through him. How's that possible? Right? Jesus, I think the last time I checked, he was born like 2,000 years ago. I think the universe has been around a little bit longer than that. Right? So how can you say that all things were created in and through him? And what Paul's doing is he's, he's actually drawing on lots of Old Testament images and language that describes how the universe was made. Let me give you two of them that immediately come to mind. Genesis 1, of course, when God created the universe, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then here's verse 3. And God said... Let there be light, and there was light. God created the universe through his, what? Through his words, right? Through speech. God spoke, and it came to be. God created everything, and he did it in and through his own speech. Uh, And then in in, uh, the book of Proverbs, it describes how God created the universe through his wisdom, okay? So here's, this is Proverbs 8, and wisdom is being personified here, and this is what wisdom says of itself. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. Then I was constantly at his side, at God's side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Okay? So we know through Scripture that God created the universe in and through his word and his wisdom. And now what Paul is telling us now in the New Testament is this. That word and wisdom is not just some abstract quality or theoretical idea. That was actually personal. It was a person. 
It was the eternal Son of God. And this is where our understanding of the Trinity comes in. We believe that God is this eternal communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And together, they shared in the work of creation. You have the Word there. You have the Spirit hovering over the waters, right? And of course, you have God the Father doing things. And so Paul is saying, what we, what we knew is just an abstract quality. Now we know that was actually the person of the Son of God eternally who was with the Father in the beginning. Through him, all things have been made. Everything owes its existence to him. Okay, I know this is like, some of this is real cliche for us, but think about this. There's not a single thing in the universe that willed itself into existence. Okay, none of us here willed ourselves into existence. We didn't say one day, I think I'll exist. Right? We didn't get the, uh, the Descartes, I think, therefore I will be. You know, didn't, that's not how it worked. Right? We owe our existence to him. We were created in and through him. Everything, Paul says, everything in the universe was created in and through him. And then this other preposition at the end of verse 16, and all things were created for I want you to take in that word today, for him, okay? All of this exists by him, and it exists for him. He created it, and it's his, right? And let's make that personal. (laughs) You exist by Jesus Christ, and you exist for him. You do not exist for yourself, your life, whatever you think of it, is actually not your own in the end. You are created by him, and you exist for his purposes, for his story that he's playing out, for his delight. Just as you create something that you, that you create, he created you, and you now exist for him. There's a story that he's telling in the universe, and you're part of that story. Okay, I love how uh, Abraham Kuyper puts it this way, famous line from him. There is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Okay? That includes every part of your life and my life and the world and any person you can imagine. Jesus can say, mine, with perfect authority and ease, because it's true. And so I just think, gosh, as, as I, you know, back to what I was saying at the beginning, how I so often think about my life. I think about, I've got this plan of purpose, and Jesus, you are here for me. <laughs> You're here to give me peace. You're here to give me meaning and purpose. You are here to give me uh, what, whatever it might be, right? A, a, a destiny, something I'm supposed to do. And Paul's like, you got that all turned around, Dave. Like, Jesus is up to stuff in this universe. It's all telling a story about him in the end. And you exist for him, not the other way around. So you, you do your little thing. But in the end, your life will serve the good and beautiful purposes that he has for the universe. That's how this works. Okay? Which brings me to the, the, the next thing he says. Uh, this is the last kind of statement uh, as Jesus of Lord of creation. Look at uh, verse 17. He is before all things. I kind of already talked about that. And then this last phrase. In him, in Jesus, all things hold together. Okay? Now, scholars debate what that means. All things hold together. What I think it means is um, everything finds its proper place in relationship to Jesus. 
Okay, like planets find their place revolving around the sun, that everything finds its place, and everything kind of holds together in a, in a comprehensive whole only through the story of Jesus Christ. Okay, so imagine like your life is this little, literal, this thread. Okay, you might have this, you know, this colored thread. It might be beautiful. It might be frayed, whatever. And that is your life. And my life is a thread, and your life is a thread. But all of those threads somehow are coming together in ways that we can't totally see to form this beautiful tapestry. And what the tapestry is all about is Jesus, the eternal Son of God who created all things, entered into the world, suffered and died for it, redeemed it as coming again. Everything finds its place somehow in relationship to that story, okay? Russia's invasion of Ukraine somehow finds its place, might be part of the bad of the story, in relationship to that story. Your job and your life and your health and everything, it all finds its place only in as much as it's part of this grand story that is pointing towards Jesus Christ. Okay, so pause for a moment. I want you to do something. Um, I want you just to look around the room at one another. Get awkward for a second, okay? Just look around. Yeah, just take a look. And I just, just notice, you're looking at these wonderful creatures. None of them are self-existent. None of them exist for themselves, right? They all exist through Jesus, and they exist for him. This is all his. We belong to him, and it's all pointing towards him. It's staggering. He was just a guy. He's just a carpenter. And it all points to him. Lord of creation, firstborn over all creation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at these other verses here. Now it turns towards, I would say, Lord of salvation and redemption. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Now, now Paul's talking about the, 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 the redeemed community, those that have been called out, that have put their faith in Jesus. And, of course, Paul's saying Jesus is the head, and it's a beautiful image, right? A head and a body. He's connected with his people, and he's the leader. He's in charge, right? He's the ruler. He's, he's the guy who's shepherding his people, leading them, loving them, staying connected with them. And we've been talking quite a bit about this lately at our elder meetings. What does it look like for us? We're, we're, um, we could call ourselves under-shepherds, right? We are, we are um, under-leaders, under the leadership of Jesus. And we've been asking the question recently, like, what if we really believed, Jesus, that you're leading this church? <laughs> and we're not. <laughs> Which was always the truth, but, you know, sometimes you have an illusion there. <laughs> if you are leading this church, what would you do? Like, what, what would you, where would you like to see us? Grow. Uh, Scott was just mentioning, those who are in Christ live as Jesus did. If, if you're in charge of this church, how would this be a, play, a body that just reflects who you are in this world? And so we've actually been going back to the letters. This is, don't do this. It's bad, 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 bad advice. Don't go back to the letters, uh, the seven messages to the churches in Revelation, where Jesus speaks to each of the churches as its leader. Like, here's, here's what I'm, they kind of get a report card. You know, like, here's, here's what you're doing great. I love that. And here's where I'd like to see you grow. And, but we're spending time in those seven, seven messages and wondering, 
dangerous question. What would be the letter of Jesus to Grace Fellowship Church? Um, what would he want to say to us? Here's what I love. Here's what brings me joy. And here's where I want to challenge you. Here's where I want you to grow or repent. And so that's a, that's a fun exercise that we're going through right now. But he is, he is the leader of the church. And, and of course, here Paul's not talking about a local congregation like Grace. I think he's talking about he's the leader of the, the universal church, believers everywhere. He's the head of, of this thing because he redeemed them, right? He rescued them. And now he's, he loves them. He's connected. He's, he's shepherding them. He's the head of the body of the church. Uh, and then how about this one? He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Okay, let me give you another image. This isn't really a great resurrection image, but pretend this is a resurrection image. Um, he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. That, that might be obvious to you. If it's not, let me just help you understand that. Um, you might say, how can he be the, the firstborn from the dead? There's other people who died before Jesus and went to heaven, as far as I'm concerned. Right? Old Testament saints, um, I think they died before Jesus and went to heaven before Jesus, um, right? Um, or, or Lazarus, right? I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before Jesus was raised from the dead. So how can he be the firstborn from the dead? But what I think Paul is saying is Jesus is the only human being who has passed through death and actually received true resurrection life with a resurrection body, the new creation that will come when he returns, that we'll all receive, those who put their faith in him. He's the only one. He's the first human being that's done that, right? The Old Testament saints, they died. Their spirits are with, with God in, in heaven right now. They're at perfect peace and joy, but they have not received resurrection life. They have not received their resurrection bodies yet. That waits for the second coming. Lazarus was raised, right? He was basically resuscitated to his old mortal body, which would die again. In some ways, he had it the worst. He had to die twice, you know? Um, he didn't get a resurrection body. Jesus alone has actually entered into the new creation. And so we call him, he's, he's the pioneer. He's the trailblazer, the only human being who has blazed a trail through death and actually conquered death and received uh, what Romans calls the power of an indestructible body. He now has a resurrection body. You could not kill it again if you tried. Indestructible. We will receive that kind of body when Christ returns. Until then, he is the firstborn, the beginning. As, as Paul says so here, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus gets supremacy in everything. He gets it in creation, but he also gets it in new creation, resurrection. He's the first of everything. He's at the top of every list, Paul is saying. And that's the way it was supposed to be. And then we have this final description, uh, which is so beautiful. Verse 19, take a look. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that right there is the gospel in a verse, okay? And we're going to spend next week talking about the gospel, so I'm not going to spend as much time on this, this one today, but it, this gets right at the very heart of the good news of this whole universe. Um, but what Paul is saying is, is God, the God who created the universe is, is active in this broken world, reconciling it, reconciling people to himself, bringing peace between him and creatures that, that chose to go away from him. He's active, actively doing this world, and he chose the most interesting way to do it. <laughs> He's reconciling and bringing peace through the death 
of his own son. And here's the final image I want to give you today. And the language here uh, in verse 20 is actually pretty graphic. He talks about his blood. He talks about the cross. You can imagine splintered wood and nails and flesh and blood, right? This, this first century tool of Roman execution. And this is, this is the heart of the good news, that, that Jesus, the one who embodies the fullness of God, right? The image of God, um, all authority, power, majesty, right? He he has offered himself in weakness, in vulnerability, ultimately in suffering and death on our behalf. And so what, what I actually think is so fascinating, this, this beautiful hymn to Jesus that for the most part is all about his majesty and his power, right, and his authority, everything, ends with this picture of his vulnerability and his brokenness and his death and his blood on this shameful way to die in the first century. That's the climactic statement of this image of Jesus. And it's because that's actually, over all the things Jesus did, this is the the most beautiful of all. And I love in Revelation, again, when you get past the messages of the churches, you go to chapter 4 and 5, you enter into this worship scene in heaven, and God is being worshipped on his throne, but the climax of that worship scene is this little slaughtered lamb steps onto the throne of God, and everybody starts worshiping this little lamb that's it's been, it's been sacrificed, and they're crying out, worthy, worthy, worthy you are, but the reason he's worthy, they say, you're worthy because you gave your life, because you shed your blood, and with it you purchased people from every tribe and language. You're worthy precisely because you were slain. And so that this king of majesty and, and authority is the one who also is the king of humility. We sang about this, the lion and the lamb, right? And so that, that's such an important corollary to what I said earlier, where I said, you know, you are for him. You exist for him, and this is all for him, right? Um, this is all about him, and you're like, gosh, he's starting to sound kind of self-centered himself, right? But the beauty of this, and it is all about him, but the beauty is... is his life is about self-giving. He, he, is, he is all entirely for us. <laughs> he uses all that power and authority for you and for me. And so I worship this king who has authority over me, but this is the same person who died for me. I'm still trying to get that in my head. How do you have a relationship with someone who died for you? I have no other experience of that in my life. I know some people actually do in, in life. They They've had someone who was willing to die for them, but you don't get to have an ongoing relationship with that person, right? What's it like? What is the dynamic of a relationship (laughs) when you have a king who died for you? You served me. You suffered for me, and yet you're my king. What a wild (laughs) relationship that is. What a beautiful relationship relationship of humility and praise and gratitude and submission and mutual sacrifice. This is, who our, this is who Jesus is, the endlessly self-giving one on behalf of his people. King of creation and king of salvation. So uh, that's a very inadequate exploration of who Jesus is. Those who look on him are radiant. And as I said at the beginning, 
ultimately, if we're following Jesus, the goal of our lives is, gosh, if I could say anything in 10 years, it would be this. I am more devoted to Jesus than I was 10 years ago. If I can say that, uh, I'm on the right track. I'll close with these words. I was reminded of um, the story of John the Baptist uh, this week and uh, some words he said. Uh, you know, he was so popular. His, king, his kingdom, if I can use that word, was, it was massive, it, bigger than Jesus's for, for a bunch of time. And, and then things started to shift, and people started to go over to Jesus, right, from John. John's disciples started going over to Jesus, and John, some of John's disciples were feeling, I think, jealous for John. They said, John, your, your disciples are going over to Jesus. What should we do about this? And John's response was so beautiful. He says, Jesus is the, bar, he's the groom, he, right? He's come for his bride. I'm like the best man. The best man uh, is not jealous of the bride. The best man is full of joy for the groom. And that is, that's, that's the role I get to play now. I get to celebrate that the true groom is here to receive his bride. And he makes this comment. He must become greater. I must become less. And John's story is, is tough and tragic in certain ways. So I, don't, I don't know what the tone of that was. Um, I don't know if that was joy. I don't know if that was surrender, um, but it was right. And, and I think, gosh, this, this is the journey of our lives, <laughs> really, right? This is the journey of, of discipleship. He must become greater. I must become less. If, if I could say in 10 years, Jesus is a bigger part of my life, my heart and mind and my actions, and I'm less a part of that, That's, that would be a pretty great thing. He must become greater. I must become less. So let's do this. Let's now, we're going to transition, and we're, hopefully that was an act of worship for us. Uh, and now we're going to worship through song, okay? Uh, so I'll have the team come up, and I'll, I'll, I'll pray in a second, but you guys can start coming up. Um, I love our responsive times, and I want to invite you to um, respond. Uh, we have songs about Jesus, and I just want to remind you, I don't know, how, like, if you're into this right now, if you're distracted, but just to let you know, in the next, like, 20 minutes actually are not for you. <laughs> They're for Jesus. Um, that's what worship is, that's who worship is for, <laughs> okay? So, in that sense, it doesn't matter if you're feeling it um, or what. Um, worship is for him. Worship declares you are worthy. And so, I encourage you to step into this time going, this really isn't about me. Um, this is for him. If I could do something that, that blesses him, that um, brings joy to him, then that's enough. And so that's the, the spirit that we get to do this in right now. That's the spirit we get to we bring every, every Sunday when we sing to him. But let me pray for us, and then, uh, and then let's worship. Lord, this morning we just, you know, in the midst of whatever we're all going through, whether we're distracted, whether we're hopeful, whether we're anxious, whether we're sad. Um, we just want to declare your worth today. And I, I pray that even as we sing now, that, that you might reveal yourself to us. Like in a fresh way, there might be a, a, a lyric that we hear that reminds us of who you are, that you would speak to us even as we are worshiping you. And we might get a glimpse, a fresh glimpse of your goodness, your glory, your power, your grace, and that a fresh vision of you actually would be enough, <laughs> that that would be the solution to whatever it is we're going through right now, that you're present with us, 
walking with us as our leader and as our shepherd, that that's all we need. We don't need anything more than you, Lord. So we invite you through your Holy Spirit just to be present in this time to minister to your people as we hopefully even minister to you in the sense of blessing you and bringing you joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.